I feel like the Lord gave me a word today that's going to help us. Uh, it's something I've preached on or at least preached similar messages to before, but um, uh, let me pull something up real quick. But I wanted to give this word out that I had this morning. But I had a word, and I feel like this is for someone or maybe a couple people here today. All right, so this may not be for everybody. So I'm, this is prophetic in the sense that I felt like God gave this to me for someone. And I just want you to, when I, as I speak, just to examine, does this apply to you? And if it does, take it. It's from God for you. All right? I saw clearly during worship a branding iron that was in the shape of a number three. Okay? You know what a branding iron is? It's like what you brand... Um, cattle with, but it was a shape of a number three. And as I'm praying about that, I'm like, Lord, what is that? I had no idea what that was. And as so I just kind of just waited and didn't kind of let go of it, really. And as I'm sitting there, all of a sudden, a few minutes later, I see a well. And it immediately takes me to Jonah, even though the Bible says it was a fish most people in their reading that, they kind of see a well, and it could have been a well, but it says a great fish. That was a general term for, for things in the ocean, and it had to be a large fish to swallow a man whole. Now, if you know the story of Jonah, Jonah was called to preach to Nineveh to repent. He did not go because for a number of reasons, but one main one, but he ran from God, and he ran from his calling. In his running from his calling, he gets on a ship to go the opposite direction. You know, the, all the problems with the world is the, is the result of men going the opposite way. There's a way that seems right unto men, but the end of which is death. When we go our way in rebellion towards God for whatever reason, you know what always happens? Death. It always produces turmoil and as Jonah's going into the ship, all of a sudden the sea start to just begin to act up and a storm comes, and the next thing you know, this ship's about to go down. There were raging waves that were going on in Jonah's life. And those raging waves uh, were about to take out the whole ship. How many have ever had some raging waves going on in your life? You know what I mean? Often, not always, but often, there's a raging wave that's in our lives that's a result of us going our own way. And God wants us to return. And so here's what I feel like the message is. I feel like there's a couple people in here who's had their, there's been some raging going on in their life. It's turmoil, uh, Anxiety, depression, hopelessness, fear, uh, you name it. And it's the direct result of you going away from what God's called you to do, to saying yes to God, holding up the white flag, okay? When we surrender to God, just like Jonah finally did, he said, guys, this is, this is me, I'm the one. They threw him overboard, the raging stopped. And then he was in, a fish came up and he swallowed Jonah. And he was branded, if you will, by three days 
took me a minute to put it all together. He was branded by three days and three nights in the belly of a well. He had weeds wrapped around his head, which speak of the depression that he had. He was hopeless. He was in darkness. And there's a darkness that we live in when we will not say yes to God. But after three days, you know, what did Jesus tell Paul? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. When you try to resist the goading of the Lord, it's always going to resist, it's always going to cause the same effect. There's no peace. As someone who has gone his own way many times in life, I want to tell you there is nothing as sweet as the peace of surrender. (laughs) And if that's you today, I just want you to know that this branding, the Lord knows how to brand you, and he knows how to get you into a place where you say, (laughs) so surrender, there's nothing as sweet as the peace of surrender, and Knowing that you're right with God. There have been numerous times when God's told me something. I remember, it can be something stupid, but I, you know, like I've bought laptops before when I, the Lord told me not to, and I did it anyway. You ever bought, you ever bought something that you weren't, the Lord said, don't do it, and you did it anyway? I wanted it. <laughs> but you know what happened? My peace disappeared, and I wrestled with that thing for a while because I wanted it. You know that turmoil that you go through when you're wrestling with God and you're trying to talk him into something that he's already said no to? But God! (laughs) But But finally, it's just like, I can't take this lack of peace anymore. It's just not worth it. And you surrender and you give that thing back to the Lord and you pack it back up in this box and you send it back to the store. (laughs) It hurt, but man, it felt so good to finally have the peace of God to knowing that I'm at peace again with my maker. And and why did I say that? Any area of our life that we don't surrender, we won't have peace in. There will be raging storms. And I don't like those raging storms in my heart. And I have learned that the peace of God is so more valuable than any earthly thing that I could hold on to. Even if it's my own desire, my own self-will, my own direction, whatever it is. So I'm just encouraging you. If that's you, surrender to the Lord. Surrender to Him. He loves you, and you'll find peace. All right, that wasn't a message. That was a freebie. Felt like the Lord gave me that for somebody here today. Y'all ready? All right, if you got your Bibles, turn over to Genesis 3. I'm going to, not me, but I'm going to have us look at the fix for all a man's problems. And I did not misspeak. I'm going to give you the fix for all of man's problems, all of them. All right, let's look at the fall of man. You know, Rick's has said this all the time. He's like, I think, was it Deborah was talking about this last week, where if you miss, if you go off the path, you know, you have to go back to where you missed it. You know what I mean? And Rick says that all the time. You have to go back to where you missed the mark where you turned aside. And so we're, let's go back. Let's see where all, this, all the problems of man started with. 
Um, and I and I pray that everyone and let me let me do that, Lord. I, I ask that you would open up our eyes and open up our ears, and that you would help us to get by revelation, Lord, what the Spirit is saying. Lord, speak to everyone here. Give us ears to hear, Lord, in Jesus' name. All right, Genesis chapter 3. Before I say this, I just want to say, because this is the goal of what we're talking about, but Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please Him. For all that come to Him must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Faith is our goal. But having said that, let's go to Genesis 3. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Now, I just want to make a side note right here. Anytime God speaks, the enemy comes. Remember the parable of the sower? Jesus told the parable of the sower how the Son of Man sowed the, sowed the seed and the birds of the air came to pluck it up. Every time the God speaks, the enemy comes. When God spoke to Jesus, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, immediately he's in the wilderness after that and the devil comes and he says, if you're the son of God. Satan's number one job is to challenge what God says in our heart. And he wants to challenge what God says all the time. It's our job to not let him succeed. All right? So Satan came to the woman. He says, indeed, has God said? He put a question mark. I'm going to tell you what. Question marks are the devil. <laughs> question marks, or, or let's put it like this, what ifs. What ifs will steal faith from you every time? You get a promise from God, but what if it doesn't work? What if it doesn't happen? What if, what if, what if? If you listen to the what if, you'll never know. What ifs will steal the word of God from us? Did God really say, you shall not, and then and he says, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, from the fruits of the tree of the garden. See, he's already being tricky. You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? God didn't say anything about any tree. He said a specific tree. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Every other tree was, was, was permittable. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. I'm not going to go here because I don't want to go down into too many rabbit trails, which is I do that easily, but God never said don't touch it. That was Eve that said that. The serpent said, he said, don't eat it, the fruit. Serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. So now he's contradicting God's word. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan always comes to us with a mixture of truth. He does. He doesn't show up with pitchforks and horns on his head and show us how he really is. This Bible says that Satan comes as an angel of light. 
When Satan comes to us, he doesn't appear in such a way that it's obvious that it's this hideous, evil monster that we should reject. He comes like an angel of light. And he, he, he speaks things to speak to what we want to hear. And he comes with partial truth. It's a mixture. If he came with us with a straight-out lie, most of the time that would be easy to discern, though not always. He comes and he adds a little bit of uh, truth with a whole lot of lie. And so, the serpent said to the woman, you shall sh- surely will not die. For God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he's tempting them with something. They, they were made in the likeness of God. You see that in the, when God made Adam and Eve, they were made in God's likeness. Okay? But here, Satan's saying, the day you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. Your eyes will open. What does that mean? You don't see something right now that you can see. And he's trying to get them, he's trying to get them to obtain something in a place of dissatisfaction. I'm not satisfied with how God made me. I'm not satisfied with where I'm at. But if you do this, you will be like this. He's always trying to get us to be unsatisfied with where God has us. It's one of his traps. For God knows that the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You'd think that would be a good thing, right? When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, so it, so it looked good to her. Lust of the eyes, First John. And it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. I could go on so many trails on this. I mean, there's so many things to look at. Adam should have cut the head of the serpent off right then and protected his wife. He was the one that was there when God said, don't eat it. He failed. His wife was deceived. Adam was not deceived. He just simply was more persuaded by the woman than he was God. So us men, <laughs> we got to, we're, the, we're really the... I find more fault with us than I do with, with Adam than I do with Eve. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Then they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called the man, and he said, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? From there, it goes on a whole uh, bunch of blame shifting from there. Adam's blaming God, really, because he's saying, this woman that you gave me. He's blaming the wife, and he's blaming God, in a sense. Blame shifting is a result of the fall, by the way. We blame shift. We don't want to take responsibility. We want to make it somebody else's fault. Somebody else's fault for my life's the way it is. Well, let me tell you, as long as you're blaming someone else, you'll never get your fix. You won't. 
We have to take responsibility. Yeah, you had a bad upbringing. What you going to do about it? Um, everyone was blame shifting. The Eve blamed serpent. You know, Every, they 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 blamed someone else. I want to look at something real quick, and then I want to talk about the fix. Satan, when he tempted her and she ate of the fruit, and he ate of the fruit. What were the things that, we've talked about this, but what was the first thing that happened when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? The fruit of that tree caused their eyes to open up. What does that mean? That means that they literally were walking around the garden naked, and they didn't know it. Now, some say that they were covered by the glory of God. That could be true. What we do, that doesn't say that, though. What we know is that they were unaware of themselves. Now, I see some of these kids up here, and they're, you know, holding hands and dancing, and they're doing all this stuff up here, and not one of us would be up here doing that probably. Maybe a few of us. Maybe a few of us. Sorry, Margaret. <laughs> Most of us would not be. Why? Self-awareness. I don't want to look like no fool in nobody's eyes. See, there's something that happens when a kid is born, there's no aware, self-awareness or not much. But as they get older, the fruit of that tree begins to manifest in those kids. And at some point, they become aware of their own self. So let's look at this. Says that in verse 7, it says, The eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. So for the first time in their existence, they're, they're aware of themselves. They heard the Lord coming, and they, it says that uh, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Ever since the fall, man has been hiding. We hide from God, and we hide from one another. We do. We don't, when somebody, when we're going around people, we, what do we do? We always dress ourselves up. We put on makeup, most of us. You know, we, we try to, if somebody wants, you're meeting somebody, you don't tell them the worst thing about you. You tell them the best things about you. Why is that? Well, we want, we, we want people to see the good. We don't want people to see the bad, right? And so they covered themselves with fig leaves, and it tells us in verse 10, I believe it is, it says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Everything that affects us negatively is the result of that tree and the result of seeing ourselves. Now, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree is not evil. Okay, I just want to make this clear. It's not the tree of evil. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, what does the knowledge of good and evil do to us? we begin to judge ourselves whether we're doing good or we're doing bad. And that always produced death. God said, the day you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. Why? Because now your life is bound in your own self-performance. Your life is bound in your own self-performance. 
Now, for those who've studied the Bible for a long time, we know that the law was good, that God gave Moses, but it was imperfect in the sense that it couldn't make us righteous because the only thing the law did was reveal to us that we were sinners. Ten Commandments. Who keeps them? Nobody keeps them. We've all sinned. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. Every single one of us has messed up. We've all done wrong. But what happens when we have a bad day? What happens when we cuss out somebody on the street and flip them the bird and we know we shouldn't have done that as a believer? Cut me off in traffic, you SO. <laughs> and the fingers start flying. Don't think that doesn't happen. You know it happens. Oh, man, I feel horrible about that. Man, golly, I'm going to go on a fast. Man, I got to go home and pray or read my Bible. See, when we know that we failed and we attempt to try to go and do something to make up for the thing that we failed at, we're being like Adam and Eve and we're putting fig leaves on our nakedness. Does that make sense? You will never, ever be righteous by your own works. And most of us, if not all of us, are still living in a, par- in a mixture of grace and law. We do. We live in a mixture of grace and law. I'm right with God, and I'm feeling good about myself as long as the boxes are checked. But what happens when you have a day when the boxes don't get checked good? Do you, are you just as acceptable to God at that moment? Do you feel acceptable to God? No, you don't. That's why the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're in Him. And so this self-focus brought a a revelation or or it began to open our eyes so that we we start judging everything by good and evil. Good and evil, good and evil. If I do good, I feel good about myself. If I do bad, I feel bad about myself. And now we're living in this torn place that we judge ourselves on how we're doing. And that always brings death. I'm not acceptable to God based on anything I can do. Nothing. Zero. Not one thing makes God pleased with me. Nothing I do outside of faith in the Son of God pleases the Father. I mean, don't get me wrong. He wants us to love one another. He wants us to do the things He tells us to do, but He doesn't want us to do it in order to make ourselves righteous before God. He wants us to do it because we are righteous before God, and and we're doing it out of love for Him, not out of need base. See, as long as I'm doing something in order to make me feel better or to have a, a proper standing with God, then that's actually an affront to the cross, and I'm actually not doing it for God. I'm doing it for me. Y'all hear that? When we're trying to do things that are the right things, but we're doing it in order to have proper standing before God, you're not doing it for God, you're doing it for you. And that's an affront to the cross. So two exact actions can be very different in two people. They can look exactly the same. One person gets up in the morning and they grab their Bible and they start praying and reading the Bible. One does it not because they have to, but because they love their father and they want to get to know him. And they're doing it to please him. The other person does it because, oh, you know, I have to do this in order to make sure that I'm right with God. 
You see what I mean? Two actions, totally different motives. God wants to get to the motive of why we do what we do. If we're doing things in order to make us right with God, that is the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it's an affront to the cross, and it will always produce death in our life. We are not capable of bringing about righteousness in of ourselves. The Scripture says in Galatians, it says, if righteousness could be brought about by the law, then Christ died needlessly. Think about that. He came because we couldn't. Hiding from God, hiding from one another. And you know, the, the, there's two, the coin is, is like on one side, there's this insecurity that we have because of looking at ourselves. On the other side, there's pride. If we look at ourselves and we say, and that's where the religious people come in, they're eating from the same fruit. You know, the Pharisees of Jesus' day, and we all got a lot of that in us. Ways that we feel like we're in good shape. You know, when the Pharisee was praying and Jesus made the distinction between the Pharisee and the sinner that prayed, the Pharisee says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other sinners. Oh, I fast twice a week. You know, he goes through this whole list of the stuff that God likes for people to, his people to do, but his trust was in his own ability and what he did, and that's what made him a Pharisee, and it made him prideful. The sinner says, Lord, I'm a sinner, and he wouldn't even look to heaven. Forgive me. And the Lord said, that sinner went home justified that day, not the Pharisee. Anytime we do things in order to appease a conscience other than faith in the, in the finished work of Christ, and that's why I think that finish line is so important. Jesus, the scripture says, Jesus is the end of the law to those who believe. He is the finish line. <laughs> it's, Jesus hung there and he said, It is finished. It is finished. When he hung on the cross and he died, his last, his last words was, It is finished. Jesus is the completed work of Christ. Jesus is the completed work of the Father, I mean. Christ is the completed work of the Father. And we enter into that. So we see that the fruit of this tree that has caused us to look at ourselves and to begin to judge ourselves based on what we do, if I'm doing good or doing bad, that brings death. So what's the answer? All right, turn with me. Numbers 21. I could really, honestly, there is so much revelation in all that, that, but I just don't have time. All right, Numbers 21. Okay. In Numbers 21, we find that the children of Israel had been um, rebelling against God. They were... Um, complaining, they were living in sin, they were rebelling while God was in their very midst. And when I say God was in their midst, I mean they had a, they had a pillar of fire at night, cloud by day. The glory of the Lord would appear in the tent of meeting when, when the Lord would meet with Moses. They had just been brought through the Red Seas. They saw all the miracles. God was feeding them with manna miraculously every day. They had so many encounters with God in the, in the wilderness, and it was amazing, and yet they still found themselves complaining and sinning. We are no better than them. We do the same thing. 
And so because of it, fiery serpents went among the people and it bit the people. This is verse 6, so that the many people of Israel died. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. Now, serpents. Weren't we just talking about a serpent? How did the serpent get Adam and Eve with his mouth? He spoke lies. In a sense, they were snake-bitten. Adam and Eve were snake-bitten, and venom got in, and it opened up the door for all the evil in the world. It gave Satan, who God never gave authority over the earth, he gave it to man, but it gave Satan authority in the earth by their obedience. The Bible says the one that you obey, you're enslaved to. When they obeyed Satan, they enslaved the whole earth to him. So you see in this verse that the, the, these fiery serpents went among the people and bit them. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord. And you, intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, check this out, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard or a pole. And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. <laughs> that is so awesome. Let me tell you why that's so awesome. Turn over to John. Only God could make the Bible. It is amazing how thousands of years of numerous different authors and it all fits together like a, like a glove, like a puzzle piece. Absolutely amazing. Numbers 21, 6 through 9. This is, but I'm turning over to John 3. We're going to go to verse 14. Jesus calls out the bronze serpent. He talks about it. He tells it what, it, what that meant. Because we know that from the Scriptures that everything written in the Old Testament was written for those of us in the New Testament it says that all those things were written for us whom the, whom the ends of the age have come. God made it an example for all that for us so that we could learn from it. And so in, in, in John chapter 3, uh, let's start in verse uh, 13. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus declared that this bronze serpent represented him. Him being lifted up in the wilderness was the same thing the bronze serpent being lifted up in the wilderness was the same thing as Jesus being lifted up on the cross. And what was the remedy? If you were bit by the snake, you had to look, you had to turn your gaze to Jesus on the cross. Where do we look? This is how we look. We walk around life like this. Oh, man. Well, I didn't do good today. Woohoo! Oh man, I failed today. Man, I did all. I did horrible. 
snake venom. Snake venom. We've been bit. When we get turned inward, what's the fruit of being turned inward? Fear of man, fear of rejection, a whole lot of fear. That was the first time fear came in was when they looked at themselves. When we look at ourselves, it brings in fear or, or it brings in pride. It brings in insecurity. It brings in false hope. It, but it brings in all the destructive things that affect our soul. You know, psychology, human psychology is, is, is straight from the pit of hell. It's human psychology. The goal is to look around inside yourself and somehow figure out what's wrong and then you can fix it. But they just keep digging around in darkness. The answer to fixing us is never, ever digging around and looking inside ourselves. We will become what we behold. That is a principle in Scripture. We become what we behold. So when we fall and we mess up, what does the enemy want us to do? Run from God. Oh, man, I can't go get with God today. I can't go to church today. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been out doing evangelism and I'd go up to somebody that's uh, early in the morning drinking a beer on their, on their uh, porch and I say, hey, how you doing? My name's Travis, just out touching base with people about Jesus. I want to talk to you if a minute, if that's okay. No, I can't talk right now, man. I'm, I'm drinking a beer. And what they were saying was that, oh, no, I can't talk about God right now because I got a beer in my hand. I can't tell you how thousands of times I've heard that from people. You know what happens? They think because they're drinking about a beer that they couldn't be accepted by God because of that beer that they're drinking. But we do the same thing. Didn't pray enough, didn't fast enough, didn't do this enough. And so we don't come to God. Or, or worse yet, I looked at porn last night. Let's get real. I looked at porn last night. I can't come to God today. I'm horrible. I'm in shame. Man, I cussed out my wife. Or I cussed out my husband. I f- I can't go to God today. Why not? Why not? Do we come to God based on our goodness? If we do, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Or do we come to God based on the blood that was shed? What was the answer? See, what happens, the devil wants us to be in condemnation, and so we stay away from God when God's the one we need to get fixed. He keeps our eyes on our problems, what we've done, because the devil knows if what we behold will become. As long as we're staring at our horrible, awful self and all our sin and all our failure, that he knows that's all we're going to be. And what was the answer to, to the snake bite? Turn your eyes and look upon Jesus. Look upon Jesus who hung it said he made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Looking at him is our remedy. We don't come to God based on our good works. It's, we come to the throne of, we boldly come to the throne of grace by the blood of the lamb. I'm coming in by the blood, not by anything I've done. 
And so that's why the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Y'all understand that? You're either in Him or you're out of Him. You're either in the ark and you were saved from the flood or you weren't in the ark. You're either in the door, in the house with the blood on the side of the doors with the, and the death angel passed over you or you were in a different house without the blood and the death angel didn't pass over. You're either in or you're out. It ain't about are you good in the house or bad in the house. It's are you in the house. And if we're in the house, the death angel passes over. That scares people. Why? Because if God's that good, then why wouldn't we just keep on sinning? <laughs> if you're seeing him, you're getting transformed, buddy. When you're being delivered from this thing and you start seeing the Lord, you're no longer looking at you. When I see him, I want to be like him. The answer to every human problem is having the eyes of our heart opened up that we would see him the way he is. Jesus, in John 12, you can turn over, you don't have to, I'm going to read this real quick. John 12, 31, he, he, he talks about this a little bit more. He says, now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And he was saying this to indicate the kind of death which he was about to die. Jesus, once again, talking about lifted up. If he was lifted up, he would draw all men unto himself. We have to behold him hanging on a cross for, the sins, for our sins. When we see what his sacrifice and what he did, that is what cleanses us. The judgment of this world, the ruler of this world, Jesus said the ruler of this world will now be cast out. Why? Because the bronze serpent's being held up. His authority over the earth was being broken because now man came. God became a man. He lived perfectly as a man. He had never sinned, never disobeyed God, never lived from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he could be a perfect lamb to take our place. He did what man wouldn't, couldn't do. He obeyed the Father. Adam disobeyed the Father in perfection. Jesus obeyed God in imperfection. He obeyed God in a fallen world when everything was screaming, don't. Adam was, a, was not perfect. It, people think Adam was perfect. He wasn't perfect. He was sinless until he sinned. There's a difference. Jesus said that he was made perfect. He was made perfect through the things that he suffered. His obedience to God through the cross showed that there was no flaw in this man. He fully gave himself to die for our sins. He went fully to the cross, head on, suffered all that shame, showing to the whole world, the whole universe, to every created thing, I am perfect and I am dying for the sins of all of my people, all the creation, all every human. He died for the sins of the world. He died for every one of Adam and his descendants. It's a wonderful scripture uh, when the children of Israel were crossing into the promised land and they came to the Jordan 
And it says that the priests, when they stepped into uh, the Jordan, when the priests stepped into the Jordan, the people were about 2,000, I think cubits was what it used, about 2,000 cubits back away from the priests. But when the priests stepped into the Jordan, it says that the Jordan rolled back all the way to the city of Adam. Well, that's a picture for us. When our high priest, Jesus, stepped into the Jordan, Jordan means Jordan represents death. The word Jordan means descending downward, where the Jordan literally descended downward into the Dead Sea. So when Jesus, our high priest, stepped into death, it rolled back all the way to the city of Adam. Isn't that amazing? Who can make this stuff up? Only God. And so death rolled back to Adam because of the priest stepping into death, the high priest, the Lord Jesus. All right, so I've preached on this. I've probably done a whole lot better of a job on other times, but I really want us to just look at one clo- a couple closing points about looking at Jesus because it really is the remedy. We have got to get free from that, the effects of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When I start getting insecure, I start going to God. I say, Lord... Somehow, I'm eating the fruit right now of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm looking at myself. Lord, help me get my eyes on you and get them off me. The only way to properly look at ourselves is through God's lens. If we try to see ourselves through any other lens, we'll see it wrongly. And it will become death to us. All right. 1 Corinthians 3.18 and 1 John. I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians first, actually. All right. I'm sorry. I told you 1 Corinthians, didn't I? I did not mean to. I meant to say 2 Corinthians. All right. This one verse is so amazing. I'm going to read the, the verse before it just because it's so good. This is verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord, there is liberty. That's an amazing verse. We've preached on that before. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So how are we changed? That's right, beholding the glory of the Lord. Whose glory? The Lord's glory. So how are we changed? By looking at him. Well, how do we do that? I'm, turn over, because I just want to make this point one more time. Turn over to 1 John chapter 3. I love this verse. And, I'm, and guys, I, this really is, I, I want to make this practical because this is practical, but this is a game changer. You're either eating from the tree of life or you're eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We still eat from that tree. And we have to get from eating. Now, obviously, we're not literally eating from it. But how are we judging? How are we discerning? What are our thoughts? Are they the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Or are they the tree of life? And this really goes back to my love message that I've been speaking about 
you know, um, t- when we talk about how are we filled up to the fullness of God, that we might know the love of God that surpasses mere knowledge, that I might be filled up to the very fullness of God. It's knowing His love, us getting turned back towards Him. First John chapter 3, verse 2, Now, beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared, it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. So how are we changed? Once again, by seeing him. When we see him as he is, we're going to be changed. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. I do not believe that that means that we're all striving to fix ourselves because we know he's coming back. I don't believe that. I believe that while we begin to look on him and begin to behold him, just like it said in 2 Corinthians 3.18, as beholding the Lord, there's something that begins to happen in us, and we're transformed into that same image. Now, how does this work practically? I'm not talking physically seeing Jesus. That would be awesome. But there are... When we're in this walk, the goal is that the veils get removed, that we can see him better and better with the eyes of our heart. I can see him today so much better with the eyes of my heart than I did 20 years ago. Why is that? I've been seeking him. I've been seeking. And veils have been removed like onion layers, things that have caused my filters that I have had that have caused me to see him with, uh, in a wrong light, they get removed, and I start to see him better. And as I see him better, I'm changed into that same image. We're transformed as we behold him as he is. So here's what I pray all the time. Lord, open the eyes of my heart that I can see you the way you are. Lord, I want to see you. And guys, I've been praying that for a long time. And I'm telling you, I see him better than I've ever seen him. But I know I'm still scratching the surface. There's more to be seen. As we seek, we will find. And I know that the central fight for all of us is whether or not you're going to look at yourself or others or going to look at God, look at Jesus. That's why worship is so important. What does worship do? Gets your focused upward. When you're really worshiping, when you're really giving thanks, when you're really praising, you're getting your eye, your focus off of you and onto Him. You're being delivered from self-focus. And I just say this again, looking at ourselves will never, ever fix us. If we look at Him, we will be changed. We will be changed. And that's the goal of the enemy, to keep us looking at our failures and our mess-ups, get us so focused on it. I know so many people that deal with the fear of rejection. I've dealt with that. If God wouldn't have helped me and my wife, (laughs) dragging me out to all these social events that I wouldn't go to. Because I'm really, because, you know, honestly, I'm a, I'm an extrovert outside the fall. 
But when my fallen nature and the fear of man, the fear of rejection was on me as a young man, it was turning me into an introvert. I didn't want to go be around people I didn't know. Why? I was scared. What was I scared of? I don't know. Fear of rejection, fear of all kinds of stuff. Most people, and I believe this, you can disagree with me, and I know some of you will. I believe that introvert part of our nature that some of us have, some are more or less, that's the result of fear. I believe that. We hit ourselves when we eat the tree. See, we're all, here's the problem. Genesis 5, this is the book of the generation of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. That's another side note. And he blessed them and named them man in the day when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son. In his own likeness, according to the image, according to his image, and named him Seth. You see, God made Adam and Eve in his likeness, but then they fell. And then Seth, their third child, it says, was in the likeness of Adam. We've been in the likeness of Adam ever since, until Jesus came as our second Adam to set us free. And now we can be formed into his image. That's why Paul said, I'm at labor until Christ is formed in you. That's the only thing Jesus, God is interested in, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's not interested in all your works. He's not interested in all that. And I just want to point to Jesus today and to get our eyes on Jesus because I believe that is, I know, I don't believe, I'm 100% positive. I am fully convinced that seeing him the way he is is the answer to all of our issues, all of them. And we have to begin to ask God to reveal himself to us. Paul prayed for the church. He said, I pray that you, I'm asking God, he's talking to the Father for the church, he's praying for him. He says that they would get a spirit of wisdom and revelation into the knowledge of him. I want God to give us what would happen is if we started seeing the Lord as he is in our heart, we really started encountering him, experiencing his love, being washed by the reality of who he is, our soul would get fixed. We'd be different people, and that's what we desperately need. I've preached similar messages probably five or six times, maybe more, since I've been pastor here since 2019. This thing's growing inside of me like a bomb. And I'm so amazed. Now, I'm, I'm about to confess my sin. Are y'all ready? I'm, I'm joking, kind of. Uh, the Lord started highlighting this again to me. And I mean, y'all have heard me talk about seeing the Lord, talking about his love, getting our eyes off us and on to God. I've been talking about this for years and years. But I was digging into it some more a few weeks ago, a week or so ago. And, I, and the Lord started showing me the number two, the number two, the number two. And, then, and I'm like, Lord, what is this? And he says, go read the two trees in the garden. Now, Rick Joyner has a book called Two Trees in the Garden. Here's my confession. In 1995, I think I read three or four chapters, maybe, and I put it down. 
And I was, you know, I, I couldn't even remember what, was in the, what the whole book was about, but I remember the first few chapters were good. So I went back and started reading it again. I'm like, he had all this revelation back then. That is one of the most amazing books that I have ever read. And I'm encouraging you, highly encouraging you. He does a far better job of explaining the crux of the issue and the deliverance from us. You know, and that's what Margaret, I think it was Margaret, that thank God, what did you, you thank God for uh, loving you in spite of you. So if you've not read that book, I've been a part of that ministry since 19, January 95. And I can't believe I've never read that book. Like I'm reading it, I've been reading it now and my mind's blown. Because he was teaching all this way back then. And I didn't even know it was right on there at my fingertips and I didn't even know it. So I'm encouraging you, get that book. Okay. Lord, I'm asking real quick, Father, that you would release a spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of you on this group of people. That you would open up the eyes of our heart and that you would help us see you like we've never seen before, Lord. As we see you and we're turned away, turning away from us, Lord, looking at ourselves and looking to that bronze serpent that was raised up in the wilderness, that we would get our eyes off of us and get our eyes on you and what you did at the cross, that that's where our healing comes. Our healing comes from getting our eyes on you, Lord, and what you did at the cross. You paid it all. It was finished. And Lord, I'm asking for grace to see you today. I'm asking for grace to see you tomorrow, to see you this week, that we would, you would draw us to you and you would reveal yourself to us more and more and more because we want to know you as you are, Lord. We want to behold the Lord as he is and be transformed into that same image, Father. So we're inviting you, Lord. We're inviting you, Lord, to help us when we mess up to turn and look at the cross Look at that bronze serpent lifted up in the wilderness. Jesus on the cross that we would not try to pay for our sins, that we would not try to do better in order to gain acceptance, but we would just do what the Scripture says. If I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And Lord, in every way that we look at ourselves, whether through pride or through guilt and condemnation, Lord, that those our eyes would shift and we would see you, Lord. We want to see you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I encourage you to keep praying this, guys. Keep, uh, keep asking for the Lord to reveal himself to you. He does. If you'll seek him, you'll find him.